0: Hey there, safety enthusiasts. This is Tim Ludwig from SafetyDoc.com. It's good to have you here. Welcome to Insights into Your Safety Culture podcast, which is simulcast as a blog on SafetyDoc.com. Join us on Safety-Doc.com for 30 years of research, stories, videos, books, and blogs, all to get your safety culture fix. Now let's get to it hand-washing goes viral. Now, be honest. Did you wash your hands after every bathroom visit and before every meal in the past? You know, perhaps you weren't in the habit, <laughs> guilty at times. Perhaps on some occasions you were in a hurry or didn't like the fact that your only option for hand-drying were those blowers that leave your hands damp, requiring you know an extra wipe on your pants to complete the task. What would it take to get 100% compliance around handwashing? Well, a number of years ago, my students and I did some discreet observations of handwashing behavior on our campus, and I've continued this practice off and on of observing handwashing during these times in my own travels. Our observations suggested that folks wash their hands around 40% of bathroom visits, with no differences across genders. Okay, so now are you ready to be honest about your hand washing? Well, then let's keep talking about it. Do you think those signs at restaurants and the bathrooms requiring that all employees wash their hands before returning to work are effective 100% of the time? You know, restaurant employees should be keenly aware of how their bathroom behaviors impact uh, us customers uh, by protecting the food, utensils, and restaurants from pathogens. Do you think 100% of the time with those restaurant employees? Do you have a son or daughter who maybe works at a restaurant? Ask them for the truth. You may not like what you hear. What about our health care providers? Seems like the same hand-washing diligence would be in order for the folks who keep us healthy or take care of us when we're sick. Healthcare providers must disinfect their hands prior to working with any patients. That should be obvious. They come in contact with multiple bacteria, viruses, and other pathogens that could be easily passed on to vulnerable patients. Unfortunately, the worst place to go to be exposed to infection by a random pathogen is in a hospital or doctor's office. One of my favorite authors... An Appalachian State graduate his name is named Stephen Dubner. He wrote Fre- Freakonomics. You should check out his podcast, uh, Freakonomics Radio, I think it's called. Mr. Dubner loves to cite a 1996 study from a pediatric hospital in Australia. When asked to self-report their hand sanitizing practices, doctors in this hospital said they performed the act about 73% of the time. However, nurses were spying on them, and these nurses claim that the doctor's actual sanitizing of their hands only happened 9% of the time. My former student, Sarah Stevens, and I had our lab observe certified nurse anesthesiologists during their intravenous line procedures. You can read about it if you're needing some sleep uh, in an article that we published in 2005. Sarah and I found that hand hand sanitizing, occurred only 24% of the time with these anesthesiologists during our baseline. These are these are before folks go into surgery, and most of this hand sanitizing was to keep themselves safe from the bloodborne pathogens as they stick their patients. And you know, we only got hand sanitizing up to 65% when we met with the CNAs, established a group goal, and did a feedback intervention the best we could get and uh, even though we didn't report this since they didn't do any kind of informed consent we did notice that doctors who performed these intravenous line procedures on their own prior to surgery they were much worse at protecting themselves through hand sanitizing so okay even healthcare professionals struggle to attend to their hands 100% of the time now will you admit that you probably don't wash your hands all the time after conducting your business in the bathroom. Life Critical Compliance Well, now that we've finally got most of you to admit that you're not 100% compliant in your own safe hand-washing behaviors in the bathroom, let's turn the conversation to the types of life-critical behaviors we ask our employees to do to protect their safety. We provide harnesses to wear, detailed procedures, discipline, and policies like stop work for them to follow. And then we get quite frustrated when incidents occur and when the worker was not following these rules and it got him hurt. And we get a sobering reminder of reality when we do a little walkabout and see that our folks are not even close to being 100% compliant in these life-critical behaviors. (laughs) That is, if if they didn't see you coming to begin with and put on their harness at the last moment. All of those antecedents you put in place, such as training, operating procedures, posted rules, and safety meetings, don't assure compliance to the behaviors it's trying to target. Certainly, they have an impact for some of your workers, probably the same ones who go to the speed limit all the time while driving their personal vehicles. But antecedents only direct the behavior. They don't motivate They have to be associated with a consequence to adequately discriminate the right behavior to do in the circumstance. The only consequence rules are associated with are punishment. But we all know that punishment is improbable to the common worker. What is probable? That complying with these rules require effort. It requires cumbersomeness and requires extra time. That's probable, to do the life critical behaviors, we're asking for more effort, more cumbersome work, and spending extra time doing the task. These are the works version of hand washing, where you still have to use your pants to dry off completely. So, can we get to 100% compliance? Well, I'm writing this in the midst of the coronavirus outbreak that's that's hitting across the world. I just canceled a work trip to Africa, my university canceled at least one week of school, and is considering going online for the rest of the semester. And I really got worried as my wife had to work through some flu-like symptoms recently after coming off a of work-related travel last week. And you know what? I wash my hands all the freaking time now! Now, my own history of hand-washing got started when my wonderful nephew, Stephen, underwent a bone marrow transplant for childhood leukemia. His brother, Jacob, was an exact match. It was a blessing. And now, some 15 years later, Stephen announced to the family not to worry about him during the coronavirus outbreak because his immune system is close to 100% functioning. <laughs> this is because it's his brother's Jacob's uh, immune system that he possesses. However... Back when Steve was going through the year long multiple chemo procedures that knocked out his immune system, our whole family religiously washed our hands prior to our visits. We washed our hands all the freaking time to protect Steven. And you know what? It works! It does! In my job at the university, I come in contact with hundreds of students a day in my classes and in meetings. They are a cesspool of germs and nastiness, with a large dose of awesomeness mixed in. It's easy to suffer the latest flu or cold being in such constant and close contact with these folks from all over the region and and now all over the globe. After Stephen, my nephew, taught me to wash my hands more habitually, I rarely, if ever, get sick. Yeah, yeah, do that hand-washing thing. It works. This is Tim breaking into this podcast to tell you about my book, Dysfunctional Practices That Kill Your Safety Culture. A manager finds himself on top of a stepladder. A woman removes the guard to her machine. A worker is not wearing her safety glasses in the plant. A rustabout uses a wrong size clamp instead of retrieving the right tool. A supervisor teaches a new worker to take a shortcut. A mechanic climbs on top of an active machine to find the oil leak. What? Why do these folks do these things? Is it because they're stupid? We'll find out. Read or listen to the first chapter of Dysfunctional Practices on SafetyDoc.com. Dysfunctional Practices available now on Amazon and Lulu.com. And now, back to our podcast. I'd be curious, after this current viral crisis that's captured the attention and anxieties of the whole world, I'd be curious if hand-washing after visiting the bathroom is now far above the 40% that Sarah and I saw back in the 1990s. And think about it. Are you washing your hands all the time now, too? I bet you are. What, What does our global attention to pandemics teach us? About worker compliance around life critical and other behaviors required for safety. You know, the probability of getting this coronavirus, according to experts, is somewhere between 40 and 60 percent. And the probability of fatality, if you get it, is arguably around 3 percent, hopefully lower. Now, at your work site, if the odds of getting discipline for an unsafe act were 40 to 60 percent, And the odds of death, if you were engaged in this at-risk behavior, were 3%. Do you think we would have something closer to 100% compliant in the workplace? (laughs) Well, yes. Negative reinforcement works when the odds are so significant. But, thankfully, (laughs) the odds just don't line up that way in the workplace. So what are we left with? In his podcast, Stephen Dubner cites a comment left on his site by a guy named Jeff Starkey. He's a physician at the Texas Children's Hospital in Houston. He also had a hand sanitizing pro- problem. You know, consistent with Sarah and my research, he couldn't get hand sanitizing in his hospital staff above 70% doing all kinds of interventions. Then they made hand hygiene part of their pooled bonus plan. Everyone in the hospital had to maintain a 96% compliance rate to earn their bonus. Everybody did. Even if you were cleaning your hands and somebody else wasn't, and we dropped behind that 96%, none of us got our bonus. They only made it above the 96% goal when hospital executives were added as a part of their bonuses. So, yeah, If you want near 100% compliance on life-critical behaviors, make your executives financially accountable for this behavioral outcome. (laughs) Yeah, good luck. The power of people. One thing I'm certain of is when I'm teaching a safety workshop and we take a break and some of us go to the bathroom is that 100% of workshop participants wash their hands during this break. Of course they are. They don't want to be the person that walked out without washing their hands and having to sit next to everybody during the afternoon workshop. Similarly, I bet hand-washing at your work is much higher when a colleague's in the bathroom with you. (laughs) Isn't that true? Now, why is this? Simply, you don't want to have the reputation as being the dude or dudette with pathogen hands, especially nowadays. Well, fortunately, in many uh, occupations... We have colleagues working around us that may direct our behavior toward actions that keep yourself or or others safe. So does the reputation threat of bathroom, non-hand-washing shame work with the kind of life-critical behaviors that we've been talking about in your workplace as well? Do workers protect their reputations? You bet. Reputations as being a professional is the most rigorously protected thing at work. But ask yourself, when when someone takes an obvious shortcut or takes off PPE to make work easier, does that harm their reputation as a worker at your site? Alternatively, when a worker alerts another worker about the risks they're taking and maybe suggests a safer alternative, is that caring worker's reputation harmed because they're being the safety fairy? Or maybe they're actually calling somebody out? That's a big no-no out there. Well, it comes down to culture. What is your cultural norm? When a worker is doing something risky, are other workers willing to step in and coach their peer? Would doing so be a risk to the reputation of either worker involved? What would be said behind somebody's back if this happened? I've argued in my books and blogs that culture is not some complicated feel-good construct that frankly nobody really understands. Culture can be broken down into a behavior and therefore can be proved. My definition is culture is people talking to each other. What talking is going on now that hurts reputations at your place? What talking can you promote through your safety programs like behavioral safety that turns a table in such a way that coaching fellow workers on safe behaviors is actually reputation building. It can happen. I've seen it many times. It takes time, as does any process of shaping behavior across a workforce, <laughs> and management force for that matter. But it is the most valuable protective means available. It takes people depending on each other and valuing those discussions to build the safety culture that will sustain safety in your worksite. So I got to wonder during these uncertain times, what's going to protect me from this and future versions of pandemic viruses? Certainly decisions made to curtail conferences and classes and basketball games may help us as we don't get together in big groups, as will travel restrictions and, frankly, the general paranoia from (laughs) keeping people off the streets. But by far the biggest thing that will protect me and you And everyone we love is other people washing their hands. We've always been in this together, folks. Let's beat the odds. This podcast is a production of safetydoc.com and is copyrighted by Timothy Ludwig, Ph.D. All rights reserved. For those small doses of inspiration, visit safetydoc.com. If you would like Dr. Ludwig to speak at your corporate or society safety function, simply use the contact link on safetydoc.com. Thanks for listening.